Welcome to Benefits, What Like It's Hard? The podcast that breaks down the truths and misconceptions about all things benefits. Not only do we talk about what you should know about the benefits offered to you through your employer, but we also tackle topics on physical and financial wellness. I mean, come on, what more could you want from a podcast? Join me, Libby Allison, each week to hear from people just like you sharing their own experiences and experts giving us the inside scoop on the information we need to be successful. Well, hello and welcome. This is Kim Jackson, Director of Strategic Growth with Horan. And today I am joined by Dr. William Klein from Marathon Health. Marathon Health is an advanced primary care provider offering employer-sponsored on-site network and virtual care models. Um, Our Cincinnati market is fortunate enough to have four convenient network health center locations. And we also have additional locations in Columbus and uh, soon to be in Dayton. So welcome, Dr. Klein. Well, thank you. I'm glad I could be here and talk to you. Great, and thank you for taking the time with us today. Um, and to share with our listeners, you know, your perspective on the importance of primary care and how to develop a healthy relationship with a PCP. Um, we've had a couple of episodes in the past around um, primary care, and um, they're always certainly of interest because, um, you know, I recently read an article that said primary care is the only medical specialty for which more is better. And I think that that really um, is relatable because it really brought to mind the importance of, um, you know, creating that medical home and having that resource available to you when needed. Um, So obviously I I entered in this field with the same thing in mind too. I think it's a very valuable resource for every patient. Um, I think it's also very rewarding uh, sort of field for a doctor or provider. So tell me a little bit more about that. What's um, your background um, and experience? And then, you know, what did it inspire you to devote your career to family medicine? Well, so, you know, I guess I had a uh, exposure to medicine early on. Um, so my sister was a doctor and she's 13 years older than me. Uh, I had a sister who's 12 years old. I was a nurse and a, uh, another sister who was a vet tech. So I was in my uh, grade school life and had some interesting uh um, dinner uh, exposures on conversations as they were comparing their, uh, sometimes they think you're trying to outdo each other on the story they had to tell me. Um, so I guess that prompted my interest to into going in the medical field. Um, and then, so as, as time went on, I went on to medical school. And I think, you know, my sister who uh, actually went into fame medicine ahead of me, um, you know, always was honest about the, the good and the bad about medicine. But I think she always spoke highly about it in primary care, how you sort of get to know the patient you have more of a contact and, and uh, on the patient's life. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and it's challenging. I mean, it's not a job that you just do the same thing every day too. So I think all those things, you know, uh, from the exposure with her has led me to go down the road of, of going into primary care. So, and then hence, you know, uh, I, on this journey, I've ended up with Marathon Health um, since uh, uh, January, 2019. Wonderful. You know, it's funny. Um... I've heard that similar stories, you know, family members in medicine seem to inspire others um, to join. So um, interesting to hear you have that same kind of background and um, inspiration. Yeah, I so, think it actually helps because you go in also realistically. So when you have the challenging days, <laughs> you know, she didn't spare anything. She didn't, she didn't say it was a perfect nirvana. It wasn't, you know, the, the classic TV, uh, you know, medical experience. It was the good and the bad, right? But I think it, it made you more aware of what you're going into. Great. So, you know, how do you define primary care? 
So I, I view primary care as basically a provider that's going to be a co-leader, um, that we're the person that can sort of walk with patients in their health journey. Um, so we, we can be there to help sort of guide them on their, their journey to better health care, um, you know, hopefully reducing their chance of developing chronic disease, but, you know, heaven forbid if they ever do develop chronic disease, working on with them to try to limit their, you know, sort of, um, you know, their risk of complications um, and helping them through that whole journey um, on that. So I think we're, like I said, the co-leader, and we're not the boss. We don't tell you what to do, but we try to work with them on that journey towards where they're shooting for in life. And how do you um, establish that relationship that allows you to really be their, you know, co-leader or their partner in their health? Well, I think it develops over time, right? So when they first come in, they're trying you and you're trying them. Um, you just try to, you know, yeah, get to know them that first visit, um, you know, know them personally, get to know about their, their, their what makes them who they are. Um, and I think, you know, and, you know, keeping that sort of uh, relationship going with them on that too. And then uh, over time, the, you know, that hopefully bills and they look to you to, you know, be the first person they often turn to when they have a question or concern uh, in their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that just what we were talking about at the beginning really relates back to that medical home, you know, having that, um, that advocate or that um, leader guider, you know, there to help you as you navigate, um, yeah. because it is challenging. Um, so what are the, what are some of the, um, you know, you mentioned chronic conditions, like what are some of the challenging conditions that you're seeing in your, um, you know, in your members and how do you help them, you kind of get to a place of better health? So, I mean, there, there's a lot of conditions, but the things we see most of are things like, you know, heart disease, diabetes, blood pressure, those are the most common ones we see. Um, in most of those cases, we are often the primary treating provider for that. So we'll take care of the diabetes, um, uh, but we try to do it more holistically, not just giving them medications, but also try to emphasize lifestyle improvements, ways they can help themselves um, and making sure we involve them on the decisions, right? So we don't just dictate, you know, you're gonna do this. Sometimes you have to work around a patient's preferences that are not necessarily always on the same page as you, but, you know, try to gear towards this, again, the same goal, which you know, we all have the same goal of trying to make them healthier and have a higher quality of life. Um, now, there are always those conditions that that will require us to involve other providers. Um, so, you know, early kidney disease, I can probably handle, but when the patient's getting more progressed in their kidney disease, and you can hopefully can avoid that, but, but when that does happen, uh, you know, and they, they, we have to involve specialty care, but I don't think our role really ends at that time. You know, ideally, you know, this, the specialist gives me uh, good communication. So I am on board for what's going on with them and where the patient is on that journey. Because I find a lot of times, even then, you know, they, they see the specialists and, you know, they're all different, but some of the specialists are very rushed for time. And the patient sometimes walks out of that meeting, you know, that, that office visit, you know, with some more questions. You know, they don't feel quite comfortable with what the specialist is saying, not because they don't, you know, believe them. It's just that they didn't quite understand it. Um, and that's where I think it can be helpful, too, because I've had patients come in and I'll walk through them what the specialist was saying and why they were saying, you know, what they wanted to do. And it made them more comfortable in that journey, even though I was not the primary caregiver for that condition at that time, I can help them through that. And occasionally, you know, things will come up that, you know, I'll have to be the advocate for them, you know, to sort of go back to that provider uh, and, you know, make sure that the, the patient's concerns are, are heard. 
on that too. So I think that's why, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a co-leader in the journey. I think that we uh, will help them manage their diseases, but also help them even when we're not the ones managing the diseases. Yeah, that's, uh, again, um, personal experience certainly weighs into the value, you know, that having that advocate can provide and that navigator that you trust. Yep. Um, so when you, you know, I'm curious as you've, um, you know, come through the, you know, two plus years of the pandemic, um, you know, how do you feel like your approach to care or the patient experience shifted, you know, kind of during that time frame and any lasting impacts or what have you observed, you know, as ch that's changed for the patients? Yeah, no, I think we all had a crash course on alternatives to traditional office medicine. You know, it's, it was, you know, before the pandemic, you know, most offices were, you know, they, they see patients, you know, only in the office and that's where all the healthcare is provided. You know, I think we had a little leg up on that because, um, you know, all along we were not tied, you know, since we're not tied to necessary direct reimbursements uh, for visits in, in our model, you know, we always had a little leg up. So we could always meet patients a little bit more where they were. You know, we could offer more telephonic care than traditional when it was appropriate uh, than the traditional office would do. Um, actually, we were actually doing a uh, virtual uh, uh, pilot for, uh, sorry, a pilot for virtual care at the time of the pandemic started. So, so we had a little leg up on these things. Um, now that, you know, the pilot quickly became a, a rollout within a month after uh, that March of, you know, 2020 when, uh, you know, everything shut down. Um, so it, it, I think it, even then for us, even though we had a little leg up on some of the offices um, that may not have been ready to make that change as quickly, I think that it, you know, made us more open to be uh, aware of, you know, when we may be able to care for a patient appropriately, but in the non-traditional setting. So not necessarily an office visit at my office, but what can we handle, you know, remotely? Again, the key is obviously when it's, when it's an appropriate condition to handle in that environment too. I think also the patients too. I mean, I think a lot of patients, uh, you always have those young uh, patients or, or highly tech patients that would have been all into the virtual care um, even if the, the pandemic did start. But I think the pandemic on the patient side also made them more aware of and more open to, you know, alternatives when appropriate um, to uh, have like virtual care as our uh, another option for care. I think that was one of the biggest changes in, in medicine. I think all medical uh, offices are experiencing right now. So. Mm -hmm. And have you seen, um, you know, are you seeing a, then a balance between, you know, members or um, patients that are continuing, you know, some virtual visits plus in person, you know, kind of building more of a balance? Yeah, no, um, I think we are. Um, I think there's a lot of them that uh, uh, are open to having that as one of the treatment options. Uh, but like I said before, there's some things you just can't do, um, even virtually. Um, you know, it's we can do remote monitoring on some things, you know, with blood pressure and pulse and things like that. But we really can't listen to a patient's lungs or, you know, look in the patient's ears. Um, so, but I think more, a lot more patients are open to that, you know, uh, expanding the, the possibility of, of the follow-up, you know, what can be done remotely. So we make it convenient for them. So they keep the follow-up, uh, but still provide adequate care for the patient at the same time. Yeah. Um, so one of the things we hear a lot about, um, you know, that's certainly been, you know, kind of raised awareness around is just overall mental health. Um, and, you know, there's also, um, you know, a lot of conversation around just the, you know, the lack of resources to meet all of the demand, you know, around mental health needs. I'm curious from your perspective as a primary care physician, how do you interact 
um, with a patient in regards to their, their, you know, mental health needs um, and how do you get them, you know, when needed to the appropriate, you know, specialist, if that, if that needs to be happening. Well, you know, we have a couple things, you know, with luckily being in more of a employer response or direct primary care, we, we often have more time to be more open to that conversation. Um, we're not, you know, rushing from room to room every 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and that makes us more open because a lot of times, you know, you can appreciate a, a patient, how they respond to you, that they may be, there may be more going on than they're letting on. Now, beyond that, we also do make sure, especially for our, you know, physicals and biometrics and what's called a comprehensive visits, that we also make sure we take time to ask at that time, you know, if, how they're doing, you know, we'll do the classic, you know, GAD and PHQ type questions. These are questions that, that you know, screen patients to see if they're having any, you know, depression um, or sometimes I, when they're depressed, they're not worried, they don't feel they're down, they're just not enjoying life. So they're very flat going on a day-to-day life. Um, and same thing with anxiety, you know, we all have stress, but how are they handling the stress? Is it dominating their life? So the, at the, you know, the physicals and the comprehensive health reviews, that's where we, we know we, we make time to, to reach out, even if the patient puts on a good front, to ask them if they're having those issues. And again, the nice thing about our, you know, model, again, we can spend a little more time digging into it ourselves, um, seeing if there's, you know, things we can offer them as far as help them through that, you know, challenge. Um, and, and as a traditional medicine world, we always have medications, but we do have some resources here that I think that I know I didn't have at my old office and that we have, you know, we do have mental health services, mental health counseling. We have uh, counselors that do cognitive therapy in our, uh, in our network um, with Marathon Health that we can refer them to. Um, and so that's a nice resource. Um, and they're, you know, we know the, we know each other. Um, so I can reach out to the uh, mental health providers. And if there's someone I'm really urgently need to, they, I think they need to urgently see, I will uh, approach them about that and say, hey, look, you know, can you see so-and-so at, uh, sooner than your traditional visit and see if they can squeeze them in? Um, and so that's nice because we have that resource to get them in too, but it's also nice because they can give feedback to when the patient feels they're okay with it, right? You know, there's always privacy, right? So I don't need to dive into everything they're talking about. But when something comes up with the counselor, it goes the other way. You know, if the counselor feels that there's something that they need to make me aware and the patient consents to it, you know, they can then give feedback to me. So maybe we do need to think about medication. Um, and so that way I can sort of, you know, finish the loop. You know, we reached out to them. We got the patient in there. Uh, and then the, the patient, you know, is, is doing counseling, but stagnating. Maybe we need to try something else and they can reach out to us to, to sort of end the loop on care on that. So I think that's, the access and then the, uh, the 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 feedback when appropriate, I think, is is key for helping them with uh, patients if they have those challenges. Yeah, I think um, thinking of that as a loop um, is really um, really a benefit to the members um, because they're not the way that you've described um, in this relationship. They're not being referred out to you know, a resource that may or may not, um, you know, kind of feed back what's, what's going on or, you know, kind of keep that PCP in the loop for the overall kind of continuum of care. Um, so I think that's, um, that sounds like a really beneficial relationship to be able to have that, you know, kind of all housed around that primary care connection. Yeah, no, I think in the probably, you know, almost 18 years before I joined Marathon Health, I don't think I've 
maybe had maybe a handful, and that's probably a stretch of counselors that reached out to me like that uh, before. Um, so usually I would expect the patient to be the intermediary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, when the patients are dealing with these challenges, sometimes they, you know, they're sometimes hesitant to reach out for help. Um, you know, that's not an uncommon scenario. So that's why that closed loop care is, is nice. Well, and also, you know, when you think about just holistic care and the overall impact of, you know, maybe chronic condition on mental health, you know, there's, there's a lot of obviously, um, you know, kind of intertwined, um, you know, causes or reasonings. And that's, um, you know, that again, that closed loop sounds to really be a, very much um, in the benefit of the member or the patient. Yep. Um, so I'm curious, you know, when you think about Cincinnati, I mean, we have, you know, a wonderful network of health systems. Um, you know, how do you feel primary care fits into that kind of, again, like into that overall continuum of care? And what have you noticed um, any changes in the Cincinnati market or um, in the way that primary care is delivered? Well, I mean, over the years, I certainly seen a lot of changes. Um, I see my sister go through a lot of changes. I mean, when she first started, it was she got the barely end of the, the quote unquote golden years and doctors going on uh, golfing every Wednesday. Right. And <laughs> seeing her go through capitation, uh, see her go through health uh, investments and in practices, health hospital, the investments and in practices suddenly. Um, more recently, you know, what I experienced myself was that, you know, back when I was starting in practice, there were a lot of more independent practices, because um, as I told you, they divested um, a lot in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, which was good. I mean, so we had some good offices that were high quality. However, you know, insurances back then talked to talk about quality, but they really didn't reverse the, the quality. So, you know, I was one of those groups too. And so, you know, we had really good quality blood pressure diabetic numbers and, and good care of patients, but yet, you know, they, they hospitals, uh, not hospitals, the insurance companies didn't uh, reimburse that. Hence, they just drove our uh, reimbursements down because we were not the biggest office uh, in town that we couldn't fight back. So that drove a lot of providers to go from being independent providers into being in the healthcare environment, the hospital environment again, too, sorry. Um, and the hospital environment has its own pluses. You know, we certainly got better reimbursements because we could we could group bargain with the insurance companies. However, you know, the hospitals had their own, you know, concerns. You know, I think, and that's where we're in right now is that the hospitals are trying to make their own networks because uh, financially it makes sense um, to them. But the problem about that is that that network, you know, where they want to keep all their care in the network is not necessarily the best cost, you know, for value. Um, they will a lot of times, you know, the the services like the MRI and, and labs and other options are overpriced compared to what they would be in the community normally. Um, and their their attempts at quality, they they do, and they they do try to do quality uh, improvements. But I think being that big of an organization, being a multi specialty organization, it's hard to really get traction on the, the quality um, uh, sort of uh, interventions with that too. So I think more recently, I think in the Cincinnati environment, I think more providers are looking for alternative models. I mean, there's a lot of providers looking at things like, you know, concierge care. Um, There is actually direct primary care. uh, And the difference between that and what I do is that direct primary care, they, the patients actually pay a yearly fee um, for the provider and the provider doesn't bill the insurance at all. Um, And so, and then I'll be, what I'm in is the employer uh, driven. So I think more providers are looking for that, for those various, you know, those very reasons, you know, they feel the hospital is all about 
uh, a lot of hospitals are more about pushing patients through and getting the numbers because that's how they make numbers based. They make the money based on the number of patients. Um, and I think a lot of providers, you know, that's not what they want to do in medicine. They didn't want to be just producing widgets every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the, the patients are the same thing. So the patients are looking for, they also don't want to be the widget themselves. And, and they were looking for a, um, an office that has more uh, chance to get to know uh, and understand them and listen to their conditions. So that's where I think we're in right now. Um, we saw the big hospital groups and they're trying to adapt. Uh, but we have a lot of individual providers that are trying to now, you know, find another way um, down the road. Yeah, and thank you for um, um, kind of clarifying those definitions of, you know, the direct primary care um, versus, you know, the employer sponsored. I think that's, um, you know, helpful to know that, you know, in some cases it's, you know, the member or the person buying into, you know, access to a primary care physician. Um, versus in this particular case, you know, employers providing um, access as a benefit to, you know, employees and, and potentially spouses and dependents as well. Um, some of our listeners may not have a relationship with a PCP. So maybe could you kind of talk us through, you know, what, um, you know, if they were to engage um, for the first time, just kind of what that experience looks like and um, how they then transition into a member. Like, Kind of take us through that experience. Well, so I mean, in a perfect world, you know, you would do this at a time when the world's not ending, you know, where you're not really sick, in other words, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that that allows you to have like a that first visit, like a physical type of thing, or, or where you get to know the patient. That allows you know both sides to get to know each other. Um, so that allows the 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 provider to get to know the the patient, their health challenges, their you know, their social challenges or socioeconomic challenges and get a real feel for the patient in an environment that's not urgent and is not something we need to, to, to laser focus on. And likewise, I think it's, you know, it's a mutual relationship, right? So the patient has to feel comfortable. So, you know, there are always patients that prefer one style, even, you know, you can have two providers that are equally good, uh, but there may be difference in styles. So that's the time for the patients to sort of, you know, what do they think of this person? Is this uh, someone that they feel they could trust? Is it feel that they someone they can talk to? Is it someone that feels it's more along their style? Um, so that first visit's almost like the uh, the first date. Um, you know, you're getting to know them on a medical side, not just personal side, right? But they're also feeling out. You know, is this something that they want to continue? Or is there a better fit? So that's why I'd encourage you to you know, all people to, to reach out and not wait until they're sick to make that uh, that visit. Because, you know, that would allow them to, you know, do a lot of those things that I talked about already. You know, they can, you know, screen you for any issues, you know, not in terms of labs and vitals, but also for risk factors that, you know, for disease in the future, um, for challenges that may be limiting your ability to, you know, have a healthy lifestyle. So you can start walking down that road. So that's why it's important to, to make that, you know, first establishing visit. So that is great. Um, well, as someone that is fortunate enough to have access to Marathon Health, I very much appreciate, um, you know, the physician that I work with on a personal, you know, on my um, healthcare journey and um, have seen, you know, the benefits of having that, that co-lead and that navigator, um, you know, as you, as you try to live, you know, the most healthy lifestyle that we can. Well, very good. Um, well, I just want to, you know, thank you, Dr. Klein, today for um, taking us through, you know, your experience and allowing us to kind of see that primary care, um, you know, relationship through the eyes of a provider 
um, and uh, hope that our listeners and our members got some little nuggets of information that they can take back. And, you know, for anyone that has not engaged with a PCP, um, you know, we certainly encourage you to take that step and make that connection. Yep. So, no, I certainly hope that my uh, my little bit of wisdom there has encouraged them to make that that first step because um, it's it's a really important thing. As I said before, it's really important to make that establishment with the primary care when you know things are going well, and uh, to keep it going that you know in a good direction, but also to make sure that if things don't go well, that you have someone who already knows you, um, has an established relationship with you too. So wonderful. Well, thanks again. And to all of our listeners, we just wish you a wonderful day and take care. Thanks. Have a good day. See you next time.